Our volunteer program is currently very loose and we don't really require anything like the number of times a year to volunteer. Our organization is introducing trainings this year for volunteers, and I'm concerned I might anger those who have volunteered for a while if they now feel like they have to go through training. How should I frame this so I don't tick people off and lose them as volunteers? So I, I want to know why, why the person who, who asked this thinks they're going to tick off people for, with training. Yeah. Right? I, I, so I'm just thinking, like, what a gift. Unless it's, like, horrible. <laughs> what a gift, right? Well, yeah, unless the training is, like, a, yeah, really boring or awful. But, right. but like, it's a gift. And so, but, but the only other thing I could think of when I, when I looked at this question was maybe they're talking about, so you're a seasoned volunteer. Let's say you volunteered with an organization five years, right? And you know everything, like, inside out. So maybe then having this weird structure placed upon you that you have to go through some volunteer training and and, in your head, you're like, that's a waste of time because I know all this. Perhaps that's where that concern or fear is coming. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm reading into it. And so if that's the case, I think you frame it by like, see if that person wants to get involved, right? Like maybe they can be one of the trainers. How cool would that be? Right. Much better answer. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and I also think the message to anybody, I I would hope that people who want to volunteer don't want to like they actually want to be trained. But I think the message to anybody is this sort of overarching volunteers are an important part of our organization and they actually help us do this and this and this that we couldn't do without you. And so we are committing to investing in our volunteers because it's going to help our organization at the end of the day. That's the message. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. You know, Andy, I saw someone post something the other day on Facebook that said. January is like a perpetual series of Mondays. Do you feel that way? (laughs) It kind of is, isn't it? It feels that way. And when they put it, I was like, yes, I don't know what it is about January. It can be, it's, it's sort of I I mean, I know it's like, oh, gung ho, new year, new decade. Let's like meet our goals. But I know a lot of people have been fighting the crud. I just got over mine and it's just, uh, it can be also a tough, a tough month, I think. So a lot of pressure to like start the new year off with like goals and things like that. I th- it maybe is that's it. It's like this undue pressure. Yeah. But anyway, so I, with that said, I am really jazzed that we have people actually listening to this. So thank you for starting off your January or maybe improving it, hopefully a little bit listening to, to Nonprofit Everything, which as you know, is made possible uh, by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. And I absolutely have so much fun with my uh, partner and sidekick, Andy Schurecht, and uh, he is so much smarter than me. Did you know, Andy, I have total imposter syndrome with you? What? Yes. That's insane. All the time. That I'm always insane. like, oh my God, I'm not smart enough to be on this podcast. With Andy. <laughs> so there's my true confession. That's so horrible. That's like the worst possible thing you could feel. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> Anyways. That's not true at all. He's a smarty pants, isn't he, listeners? Anyways, with that said, I, uh, I've made him blush. And you can't see it, but uh, thank you for listening. And here's the thing. This is only as good as the questions you send us. So please go. 
go online. You can go to the Ann website. You can go to nonprofiteverything.com and shoot us. Or you can just, you know, tag Andy and I somewhere or, you know, out in the parking lot when you see us somewhere. I don't care. Just like ask us your question and we'll make sure we answer it. Today's episode is sponsored by the HR Collaborative, presenting mission-driven human resources for nonprofits, a 12-hour training course for HR professionals working in nonprofits. This course is presented over four months, one half day a month, and focuses on critical people issues that will help your organization achieve success and fulfill its mission. Sessions begin on Tuesday, February 18th. And the cool thing is that you can just pick and choose the sessions you want. Each session is $300 or $1,000 for the whole four session series. But there's an early bird special through February 1st, just $900. Find it by searching for HR Collaborative on Eventbrite or better yet, check out the nonprofit Everything Show Notes for a direct link. All right, Stacey, brace yourself. This is one of the longer questions, but it's got so much detail in it. I feel like I need to read Ooh, the whole thing. It's juicy. It's I'm going to hold on to the table. Juicy, yeah. Here. So hang on. We'll, we may have to summarize it at the end. We're in the early phases of starting our nonprofit to fix up and reopen an old theater in our mid-sized town. And there's another group in the same area that had been looking to do essentially the same thing. Just over a year ago, they began reaching out to the community to fundraise, and as far as I can tell, they incorporated and perhaps filed the appropriate IRS paperwork. However, after about a month, they stopped posting anything on their Facebook page, and I haven't been able to find anything about their efforts in the last nine months. We're thinking that it would be appropriate to reach out to them about our plan, but we don't necessarily want to build on their work directly or bring them into our organization, as we don't think they're a right fit for our vision and group. How should we approach this conversation so we don't hurt feelings or create enemies, but still make it clear that we have a different vision and plan to move forward with it? So full disclosure, I have a hundred questions here that probably I'm never going to actually answer what this person wants. So I apologize in advance, but, but I mean, my first question is why is there really a need for both organizations to be doing the same thing in essence that feels really duplicative to me. And maybe there's a need that I don't know about, but that just feels icky, Uh, you know, and how will that confuse? So let's just say both of you are going and and I know they haven't been active, this other group, but let's say both organizations are actively out there fundraising and doing things for their own efforts that are in essence, the same effort. Like that is going to raise a ton of confusion among donors, around the community. I feel like you're going to be stepping all over each other. So that that in and of itself makes me incredibly uncomfortable. And I just want to know more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I guess getting past that. Wait, then, let me, I want yeah, to jump in because yeah. I kind of, I kind of have a different sense on that one. Do you? Yeah. Okay. I love this because we're going to disagree a little Ooh, bit. All right. So, so in this specific instance, it looks like there's some sort of community asset. It's an old theater that needs to be fixed up. So it is a single asset. It's one thing. Correct. And you have two, sounds like two separate visions for what to do with that space. So let's just, for example, say that somebody wants to turn it back into a theater and turn it into a theater. And then another organization wants to turn it into a community center, education center. So the only, there's only one asset. There's that theater, mm. which is what they're both focusing on. And so there could be two totally distinct visions. Cause my, my typical sense is like, 
what, you get this question from the community a lot. Like, why are there like 11 organizations working on education in this one specific space? And the answer is, well, have you solved the problem yet? Like, right. is it taken care of? No. Well, if it hasn't taken care of, then 11 different approaches, one of them might win out or all 11 might be required to actually solve the problem. So having multiple people in the space is generally a good thing and not a bad thing. Here, because you've just got this single asset, like this is this is juicy because it's got it's got so much like you're you are now in in when in most nonprofits you're not in direct competition with another nonprofit for something you are in direct competition with another nonprofit because there's only one asset there's only one there's only one theater that they're talking about so perhaps the question because when i heard this question i really felt like they were both saying they wanted to do the same like that it was one asset and they both wanted to fix up and reopen an old theater and so maybe the I, so, because I think there are two different answers to this, right? Right. Based on that, because okay. we'll do them both. Yeah, we could do them both because because if yeah, if both organizations are like looking at this asset to fix up in different ways, then I don't know. Oh, that just raises then who owns anyway? Who owns the asset? I, anyways, it just it leads to that like that whole thought process of okay, how is how do, how are each competing? Like, is it whoever raises the most money first gets right. to like turn it into what they want? Right. Right. <laughs> and then I guess the question leads to, I mean, the main question here is, right, how should we approach this conversation? And my big question with that is, and do you need a conversation? Like what, why are you having a conversation? What is your intention behind having a conversation? I want to understand that more because they say, well, we don't really want their their vision or their group tied to us. Uh, is it to really just kind of fact check of where each other are at? And if that's the case, then I think that's the way you have to go into it. But 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 what is the purpose? Why do you feel you need to have a conversation? And and here's the thing, you know, I'm like the the queen of communication and like <laughs> wanting people to talk and blah blah blah, right? Kumbaya. But in this case, I just want to understand why why do you feel this imperative? Can't you keep going about doing what you're doing, especially if they've kind of fallen off the radar? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe we're making things up now, but maybe. Maybe there is some confusion. You know, if there's one theater and there's two organizations that are both in town that are like both raising money to maybe purchase the asset from whoever currently owns it. And so some people are confused about who they're giving money to. I, I, I think this is your opportunity. If, if you think your idea is better, this is your opportunity to go big and say, you know, there is one asset. This is one theater and it needs to be this. And that's how you pitch it. If, if you're really competing with another organization who has, uh, wants to do something different with it, then you're going to have you're going to have to do a lot more work about what your business model is, about how this nonprofit is going to make sense over time, about why this asset needs to be what you think it needs to be and not anything different. And use that to go and pitch it to donors and pitch it to community leaders and other people and say, this is what this needs to be, because it's going to be you're, you're basically moving into a war of ideas where your idea has to be better than the other nonprofits idea. And and the community is going to pick. And if your idea is not as good or you haven't done as much work as the other organization, it sounds like you're in a much better position. Yeah. Right. Because you they seemed they popped up and then they did some stuff. And, you know, you know, a monkey can file the IRS paperwork and create a nonprofit. <laughs> now, <That's>, now. <laughs> OK, a, a smart monkey. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. Like anybody yeah. could like anybody can do it. You pay one hundred fifty dollars and you're pretty much done. I mean, there's a lot of paperwork, but yeah, but that's that doesn't that doesn't have any validation of whether or not your idea is a good idea or whether your nonprofit's going to live past six months. So so it sounds like you're in a pretty good position anyway. 
I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm agreeing with Stacy on like, why, like, unless there's some sort of compelling community reason that, you know, the board chair of this other organization is the most powerful person in town, or, or we need to get them on our side and we need to convince them that our vision is the best vision. Like maybe there's some reason you need to do that. If not, you know, just, just beat them with the idea. Now, and maybe this is really optimistic of me. I, I also think, so I'm going to play devil's advocate to what I'm suggesting and what you're agreeing with, Andy, is not having a conversation. So let's play devil's advocate for a minute. So perhaps you have a conversation and you kind of do some, you know, it's information sharing, fact checking on where each other, where you're at, um, with no other intention other than just we kind of want to check in. Uh, and then you realize that they don't have the bandwidth or the power. They, they want to see something done with this building, but maybe their vision isn't as strong as you think. And perhaps you have an opportunity to have allies. And I know you said you don't like some of these people, to but look at me. Donors. But like, well, yeah, but I'm like, maybe there's an opportunity for, do, there's got to be some people within that organization that have some strengths that may even actually propel your efforts. Or maybe you have two very different visions, but is there a way that both could work for the community. Like, so sometimes I think we get so focused, like, oh, this should be a, a theater or this should be an education building. Why couldn't it be both? So like, perhaps there's a conversation could lead to some creativity that actually then you're united. I mean, you don't have to work specifically like together, but like you're, you're at least united toward we're, we're fixing up this building and do some cool stuff. So, so that I guess would be the flip side of having a conversation and, and call me Pollyanna. Yeah. I mean, and I agree. And, and another thing that I, I think is, is part of this too is, and you hear this from entrepreneurs a lot that have a smart, like when I was at UNL teaching at UNLV, when we were doing classes on what like a good idea is, and people would be really secretive of the idea because they thought it was so good that the minute they said it out loud, someone was going to try to steal it from them. And the reality is, is that ideas are cheap. Like yes. the, you, your idea might be fantastic. And, and maybe the reason that you don't want to reach out to this other organization is you feel like they're going to steal your thunder. The reality is, is that it's all about the effort. So even if their idea is dumb and they're expending all of the effort to get it done, they're going to end up successful. So if Absolutely. your idea is better and you, you you still have to put in all of the work yeah. and, and it sounds like, you know, if they're, they're active on Facebook and then of course they've disappeared for nine months, you, you very well may be beating them on effort. They may welcome the opportunity to work with you because they want that thing to be, you know, something other than an eyesore, you know, whatever it is now. But overall, I hear this question. I go, this, this person who wrote it, they had that organization sounds like they have the competitive advantage, ride that competitive advantage right now, whatever that looks like. Every time a legislative session ends, I feel like there are a bunch of new laws and regulations I need to worry about. Is there anything new I should know for 2020? I have no clue. <laughs> how is that for an answer? So how about we bring in an expert? I think that's a perfect idea. This is the, an example of um, something where we could make things up, but that would be a disservice. We could make up some fun laws, couldn't yeah. we? Um, let's see. No more galas. <laughs> that was one of them. That was really important. How about no more grants that are tied just to programs and not any capacity building or like paying for staff? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. So, so every grant needs to have in it um, at least a 25% yes. for overhead? Yes. Okay. 
okay, I, I'm liking it. I think we should just run, you know, run our state legislature. What do you think, Andy? Um, that would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but so much fun. Well, welcome everybody. Today, um, we're excited to have uh, one of our frequent guest experts back. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Andy. It's great to be back on the podcast. I really those, enjoy it. Of course. And for those of you that don't know you, even, you know, those, the, the few people that don't listen to every single episode, would you mind introducing yourself to everybody? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. So um, my name is Greg Wilkin, uh, and I own my own human resources consulting company here in Las Vegas. Um, and I consult primarily with nonprofit organizations on any human resource needs that they may have. And I just love working with nonprofits and trying to help them to manage their human resources and, and be more effective to really fulfill the missions that they have set out to do and, and uh improve our community here. That's great. And of course, it makes you the perfect person to answer these nonprofit specific HR questions, which we always have. Well, I, I love talking about human resources and uh, any, so any opportunity that I have, I sometimes it's just hard to stop. <laughs> well, so, so here's the question that we got. And uh, so it's every time a legislative session ends, I feel like there are a bunch of new laws and regulations I need to worry about. Anything new I should know for 2020? That's a great question, and in fact, it's very timely because the most recent Nevada legislative session, the one that ended uh, in July of 2019, there were several uh, employment laws that passed um, and have gone into effect. A couple went into effect last summer, immediately upon being signed by the governor, but uh, two more, the two most significant ones, went into effect January 1 of 2020. Um, a couple of other things that I'll mention, and then there's one, Andy, that I sort of put into the category of you can't make this stuff up. Um, and I'll mention that real briefly at the end more just because it's so curious. The, the first one, pre-employment testing for marijuana. Um, for those people who are really interested, it was Senate Bill 132. Um, but what this does is it makes Nevada the first state in the country to prohibit uh, rescinding a job offer for somebody who tests positive for marijuana on a pre-employment drug test. So let me just unpack that a little bit and explain what it does and what it doesn't do. So a lot of organizations, including nonprofits, do pre-employment drug screens. Uh, oftentimes when somebody tests positive for a pre-employment drug test, the offer of employment is rescinded. Nevada now says that if somebody, if you do pre-employment drug tests and you test for marijuana and somebody tests positive, it's illegal to rescind the job offer. Now, uh, having said that, there are a few exceptions. There, uh, specifically, uh, they, uh, the, the legislature carved out exceptions for firefighters, um, EMTs, operators of motor vehicles who are required to submit to drug tests. And then probably most significantly for uh, nonprofits are, and I'll just quote from the, from the law, it says, quote, in the determination of the employer uh, that could adversely affect the safety of others, that is the position. So if the, if the position in the determination of the employer could adversely affect the safety of others, you can carve it out. Now, unfortunately, uh, that language is uh, a little bit unclear. Uh, the state has not issued any regulations or guidance yet as to what that means, but a couple things that are important. It's the determination of the employer 
um, and if it would impact the safety of others. And that safety of others could be either coworkers or clients. It's a few important things that the law doesn't change. It doesn't change any um, drug testing aspects for on-duty uh, employment. So if, you, if you're an employer uh, and you have a uh, drug testing policy that regulates on-duty um, use or impairment of drugs, uh, no need to change that at all. You can still test for marijuana. If you find somebody is tested positive, you can follow your drug testing policy. Um, so it really is, um, it, it's a significant change. Nevada is the first state in the country, but uh, really only uh, applies to pre-employment testing. I have I have so many questions. Okay. Um, so, from a former nonprofit hiring manager perspective, um, that really scares me a lot because it feels like if if somebody comes back with a pre-employment, they did the pre-employment drug test, and it comes back testing positive for marijuana, it feels like even if I didn't like that person, um, I'm putting myself at risk um, of further litigation by, by not hiring that employee. What's the, what do you think the, the best practice would be? I mean, should you just not do pre-employment drug testing? Because it's, it feels like it's just when, when you're hiring people, you always kind of want to be very specific about the kinds of questions that you ask so that you don't accidentally trap yourself into not hiring something and somebody and then having them decide it's for a reason that's from a protected class. So, yeah. so what, what, do you, what do you think a best practice? How would we approach that? Yeah, great question. Um, so there are a couple things that, that um, employers in Nevada have already uh, started to do. Some employers are just taking out uh, the pre-employment drug test for marijuana. Um, and your drug testing company that does your drug testing can just remove that from, uh, from the panel or the screen. So you could still test for other, uh, all other drugs, but just remove marijuana so that the presence of marijuana in a, in a pre-employment drug test wouldn't be detected. Okay. Um, the other thing that, that employers can do is uh, move forward with the, uh, the candidate, even though there has been a positive test. Um, and indicate to the, uh, the newly hired employee, we have a drug testing policy that prohibits the use of marijuana. Um, now that you are an employee, it, you may be subject to that test. And if, we, and if you test positive for marijuana while you're employed, uh, that may lead to the termination of your employment. The, the, the one other thing that I should have mentioned that um, is probably very relevant to a lot of nonprofits is that there is language in the law that says any position that is covered by a federal contract or a federal grant would be exempt from this law because marijuana is still considered to be illegal under federal law. So if the position is covered by uh, federal money, um, it would not, uh, it would be exempt from the law. Now, there is an open question as to whether or not that uh, applies to the entire organization. So let's say a nonprofit um, has 100 employees, uh, but only 30 of them work on a federal grant. It's an open question as to whether or not this new law would apply to all 100 or just on the grant itself. Um, and the state, as I mentioned, has not issued any regulation or guidance. Um, they may do so, uh, or it may just be uh, worked out through litigation. But <laughs> well, but people do that. We don't want that to be us. Have you seen anybody um, changing their drug policy because of the new law? 
yeah, a lot of employers uh, are changing their pre-employment drug testing. Um, it's just so that they're not uh, on the wrong side of this new law. Very confusing and it seems so dangerous to me. <laughs> it, it is. And uh, the, I guess the, the, the good news, um, if, if there is any in this, is that, um, it, you know, marijuana, unlike other uh, drugs, is uh, uh, it's not, not the effects of it are not nearly as serious Um both in terms of pre-employment and uh, while on the job. Uh, one of the difficulties in testing it, particularly for employees, is that you, you can test positive for marijuana in your system long after having used it, unlike alcohol. So just testing positive for marijuana doesn't necessarily mean somebody is impaired uh, the way an alcohol test does. So a little bit different kind of analysis from a legal perspective and a human resources perspective. But I think it's indicative of our changing attitudes uh, about marijuana, both in Nevada and across the country. The, uh, so the second one is the mandatory paid leave law. Uh, and very briefly, what this law requires is that private employers who have 50 or more employees now are required to provide paid time off to their employees. Uh, the, the calculation in the law is um, 0.01923 hours for every hour work. That seems like a very strange and random number. What that equals is 40 hours a year for a full-time employee. Uh, it does apply to part-time employees, and that's the part that a lot of companies are, uh, are adjusting their policies to. Many uh, employers, particularly those uh, who are 50 or more, have already provided paid leave, but maybe just to their full-time employees. This law applies to part-time employees as well doesn't apply to temporary or seasonal, but uh, part-time employees now um, get paid time off at, at that rate that I mentioned. And it, it accumulates at that rate? So, you're, so you don't have somebody to, that joins your firm as a part-time person and then immediately takes 40 hours? Correct. And uh, so it, it accumulates at that rate. Uh, so whatever the math is, if they work 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week, a couple of things related to that question. Um, you can, as an employer, have a policy that says you can't use your leave in the first 90 days. They do begin to accrue it from day one, but uh, you can say uh, you've got to be here 90 days before you can start to use it. A couple of other things, you can cap the amount that is used at 40 hours per year, and you can set a um, maximum carryover of 40 hours per year so that employees don't uh, build up these huge um, paid time off banks and then cash them out on, on their separation. So uh, you can't have in your policy, you can only carry over 40 hours per year. Regarding that, uh, that portion of it, the law does not require uh, employers to pay out this sick leave uh, on separation of employment. Uh, that's governed by company policy. So if the uh, company policy says in the handbook, paid time off is paid at uh, the separation of employment, then you would follow your policy. But if you don't have that and you're not required to, you wouldn't have to pay it out when they leave. One, uh, one last provision about this one that's, a, I think, a little bit interesting and, and uh, is causing a, a little bit of confusion is that you can't, as an employer, ask employees why they're using their leave. 
Um, when the bill was initially proposed, it was a paid sick leave. They changed it. It's now just paid time off. And because it's not sick leave, employers can't ask people why they're using it. Uh, but you can require employees to follow your normal call-out procedure. So if you require employees to call in 24 hours in advance or, or request time off a week in advance or uh, whatever your provisions are, you can continue to do that, but you just can't ask them the reason that they're taking the time off. Interesting. I've always figured that was a, that was a best practice because if you, if you separate it into sick leave and vacation, all it does is encourage employees to either not take what they need or lie about the reason that they're not going to be there, which you just never want to, I mean, you might as well just make it a lot easier for them anyway. Right. And, and so you, yeah, a lot of employers uh, just have paid time off policies. You get a certain amount of paid leave per year and you can use it for whatever reason you choose to. And let me mention just this one last one real quickly. The, uh, the, the legislature passed a bill, it was Assembly Bill 226. And what this uh, law says, it was signed into law by the governor, it says that employers cannot require their employees to have microchips implanted anywhere in their body. <laughs> <laughs> when I read that, I thought, well, is, was that a problem that uh, Nevada employers were facing? But, um, but it, it, and the law does say that employees can do that voluntarily <laughs> if they choose to, but they can't be required to. So nonprofit organizations out there, if you had a practice of implanting your uh, employees, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did when we were at the Springs Preserve, we, we, we did that with some of the animals that were there, but I, none of the employees. That was none the of the employees. employees. And I, I, as far as I know, it's still okay to do it for animals, <laughs> but, but not for your employees. So. <laughs> well, Greg, it is always a pleasure having you on. Um, before we go, though, I want you to talk a little bit about what the HR Collaborative is doing coming up. I'm glad you asked. The HR Collaborative is a, uh, it's a group uh, that I started uh, along with a good friend of mine who is uh, who, who's another consultant here in town uh, by the name of Maggie Harris, uh, who does really a, a great work around um, the strengths and, uh, and uh, building teams. But the HR Collaborative is, is a, uh, a group that we started for anybody who works in a nonprofit that has any human resource responsibilities, whether officially uh, in their title or unofficially uh, just because they, uh, they inherited them uh, by default. We meet every other month and it's uh, completely free. It's completely open to anybody. And what we do at every meeting is talk about an issue uh, of importance. Uh, we've covered diversity in the workplace, uh, workplace culture, um, team building. Uh, one uh, meeting we had, we talked about compassion fatigue for nonprofit professionals, opportunities for networking, sharing of best practices and ideas. And uh, we, um, we move it around every, uh, every other month at our meeting. It's hosted by a different nonprofit, gives them an opportunity to talk a little bit about their mission and what they're doing. And uh, anybody who's interested in joining, uh, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn or uh, my company ha uh, has a website. If you reach out to me through that um, organization or that website, we'd love to have you at, uh, at our up any upcoming meeting. The next one is February 13th, 8.30 a.m. at the YMCA. And then uh, we also, through this group, are providing training for um, HR professionals. It's a, 
four half day training course that really covers all aspects of human resources from hiring through separation, working with your board on HR issues. Anybody who's interested in, in a human resource class that's been designed specifically for nonprofits, uh, we would love to have you in class and um, cover uh, hopefully everything that you need to know if you're managing your uh, employees and your uh, HR team. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, we look forward to bringing you back on the show the next time we have some, some great questions for you. Well, thanks. And wanted to, again, just thank you and Stacy for all the great work you're doing. It's, uh, it's an amazing podcast, great information, and uh, keep up the good work. And that's the end of Nonprofit Everything for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Stacy and I really appreciate it when you ask us good questions like the ones we had today. Um, the, we love the big, juicy, meaty ones where we can get into all kinds of interesting detail. We also love the ones that just straight up stump us that we need to go and talk about. We spend more time like, who are we going to ask about? Who's going to answer this one? <laughs> so we actually spend a bunch of time trying to figure out who the expert's going to be. So if here's another thing. If you are an expert in something and you want to be on the podcast and you every time Stacy and I get to a particular question, you think you guys are so full of it. I know the actual answer. Go to the nonprofit everything webpage on the contact us, click the contact us link. One of the buttons is I want to be a guest expert. And so if we haven't just like organically thought of you, that's one way for you to raise your hand and say, I know about these topics and you really need to use me when, cause we want to know who you are. We, we want, want that list. Yeah. We need that list. There's a, there's a handful of people on there. We want that list to be bigger and we will absolutely reach out to you and ask you um, some really complicated, hard questions, which are the ones we like. But again, thanks to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for making this possible. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.